As Nathan mentioned, this is kind of short notice for me. Normally when I know I have to preach, I have a couple of weeks anyway. It's usually pre-planned, but this week it wasn't. You know, typically I have more time to prepare, and this week I thought, well, why don't I just choose something that's pretty much a standard throughout the Bible, and so I do a word search real quick, and I find out that depending upon your translation, the word love appears between 270 and 500 and something times, depending upon your translation, right? And so, now I didn't tell anybody, because I've been kind of preparing, and, you know, Nathan has been dealing with the loss of his cousin, and so... I, nobody knew that I was going to talk about love today, and I don't even have a title for it. I just figured I'd come up here and I'd talk about love, and if nothing else, I could open up my phone and search for love, and then I would just read Scripture for 45 minutes, right? And I could do that, and that would be just fine. And I've been sitting back there thinking to myself, you know, between Carolyn and Carrie and Jackie and Nathan and what Mike shared this morning, I don't even know if we need a sermon now. So God loves you, disperse, and be the church. But I suppose I'll carry on for a little while, understanding that I am between you and food, so I will move it along, or I'm between you and getting a tan today, so I will try to keep things moving along this morning. If you're one of those people who likes to read along with the scripture, I'm going to spend some time in 1 John today, coincidentally. I didn't know that Mike was going to try to steal my thunder, but I'm going to be in 1 John chapters 3 and 4 in just a minute here. So if you, you want to get there, you'll be, you'll be ready to go. I'm going to do, go through some, others, uh, some other scripture, but um, quite frankly, the, the words are really small in my Bible, so I typed some of them out so I could just read them. And I'm going to go through those quick. I'll call them out where we're at. But we are going to do, I'm going to read from 1 John in just a minute. Before I get into that, I want to just mention, as I think I've mentioned before, like I'm a bit of a history buff, I like stories about the apostles. I love Acts. I love the stories of the martyrdom of the apostles. And one of my favorite stories about the apostles is about the apostle John. And it's not in the Bible. It's a tradition that's been passed down from early in the church. And I'm pretty confident I've shared this before, but the story goes like this. When John was an old man, he was not able to walk anymore, and he had to be carried into church by his attendants. And as they carried him in, he would say over and over and over again, Little children love one another. Little children love one another. He would say it over and over again. Finally, one of the young attendants said to him, you know, why do you say that? And his answer was, if only that, it will be enough. And that's kind of like the whole idea of today's sermon. It is enough. It's all over the Bible. What's the most famous Bible passage? John 3.16, right? You guys know what it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And in Romans, which happens to be one of my more favorite passages here, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've got the parable of the Good Samaritan, maybe the most famous parable of all. We have the, word, the, the sentence in the Bible more than once, God is love. 
So the scripture verses for today is going to be 1 John 3, 16 through 18. So if you're already there. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now remember that last sentence. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We bump over to chapter 4, verse 7 and following. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now I find it, just to take a brief detour here, I find it very interesting as I read through chapter 4 there that John starts by talking about people who deny the incarnation of Christ in the early verses 1 through 6, and instead of giving some evidence-based apologetic for why that is incorrect, he spends the rest of the chapter talking about love. And if you count up the time he uses the word love or a derivative of love, it's 29 or 26 times in just one chapter. So that's got to be pretty important for us to consider. And we know that God is love. We know that God loves us. We proclaim it. We know that we are supposed to love one another. But do we sometimes struggle with love? Do, you under, do we understand really what God's love is? It's a central idea in the Bible, and sometimes maybe we overcomplicate it. I haven't done it in a while, but sometimes if you type in Google and you type pastor love, you'll see all kinds of pastors with all kinds of sermons about love. And I've watched one, and the, the pastor spends, oh, 20 minutes or so going through all the different translations of what Greek words mean and agape love and there's a Hebrew word for this and, they tr- and, and you know, honestly, I'm like, I'm all for getting the translation right and, and learning those new words and stuff like that, but I kind of got confused by the end of it. And then, one day, Jen hands me a test. She says, hey, What's your love language? (laughs) Some of you may know what I'm talking about, right? I had to write them down. Uh, Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. So I had to take this test, and it turns out that my love language is basketball. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) so I had to go to the appendix. I had to get another workbook. It was a whole big thing. But love is a central theme of the Bible. And sometimes when we get thinking about love, we start thinking that, well, 
it seems that love might be different in the New Testament as it is in the Old Testament. Right? Are we, are we complicating that? Because I don't know if the Canaanites would think that God's order to kill them all, men, women, and children, is very loving. I don't know if all the people on earth who were killed in the flood, except Noah's family, would think that God is very loving. Or how about Moses, his buddy, the guy that gets to see God? He doesn't even get to go into the promised land because he can't do exactly what God said. If God was, if, if God was my father in my house when I was a teenager, I'd say, that's not fair. And poor Yuza's trying to save the ark from falling down as the oxen are bringing it, and he just dead because he touches the ark. We, we have that impression in the Old Testament that maybe God isn't love because when Jesus comes, what do we start thinking about? Oh, this kindly old rabbi. He just loves everybody. Loves everybody. He's so peaceful and loving. That's our, our mental image that we have of God on earth in Jesus. When we think about Jesus, we think love differently than we think of maybe love in the Old Testament. Jesus is God, and the Bible's consistent. How can this be? Well, love is in the Old Testament. Exodus 34, 6, we find a description of God. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That goes on to say the guilty won't be left unpunished, though. Leviticus 9.18, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself in the Old Testament. Maybe like the lawyer in the New Testament questioning Jesus, the, the Israelites didn't quite get it because if you just have to love your neighbor, do you have to love your enemies? Or the aliens, Leviticus, just a few passages later, reminds us in Leviticus 19.34, you will regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You can't get away from it. We can try, but we can't. Psalm 57.10, for your faithful love is as high as the heavens, your faithfulness reaches the, reaches the clouds. Psalm 86.5, for you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Lamentations 3.32, even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. Like I said, I could just read for 45 minutes, and we still wouldn't be out of the Old Testament talking about God's love. It's not any different. Do we notice in the Old Testament, Jesus fashions a whip and chases money changers out of the temple? Does that sound loving? Our idea of love? He calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, when Peter's trying to tell him his business. Was Jesus totally accepting of anyone and everything like we kind of think maybe today that's what love means? 
He doesn't sound sometimes like a kindly old rabbi. But I think what we have to remember is that Jesus' teachings focus our attention on the command to love. It's not usually what we think of because when we think of love, we sometimes think it's just a more intense version of liking something. We think of love as this mysterious force that comes upon us after Cupid shoots his arrow and hits us. Well, Cupid's not in the Bible. I hate to break it to you. You may think that love conquers all with that mysterious feeling that we have for one another, but is that what the love of the Bible is? The command stands alone. You don't need an underlying reason for loving someone else. And as 1 John 3, 18 tells us, we need to love in action. And that action doesn't need an underlying motivation. It shouldn't have an underlying motivation. It doesn't need one. The underlying motivation is God's told us to do so. We tell children often, well, you don't have to like that person, but you do have to love them. Now that's confusing. (laughs) Carrie wants to call down fire and brimstone on people, right? We all feel that way sometimes. That's confusing. I don't like those people at that moment. But God's command is an action. I'm reminded of this story that is recounted in a book by Steve Gregg. It's called The Empire of the Risen Sun. He tells this story that there's a priest driving down the road one day and it's raining. And up ahead he sees this, for lack of a better term, a mangy looking guy who's all disheveled and looks mean. And we all know from Hollywood that if you hitchhikers are serial killers. So he sees this guy up ahead and he asks God, he says, God, should I pick up this, this guy? And God says, well, why would you pick him up? And the priest says, thinks real quick, thinking that he needs a reason. He says, well, so I can tell him about Jesus Christ. And God says back to him, well, why don't you just pick him up because he needs a ride? Isn't that what love is? That hitchhiker doesn't deserve it, or maybe he does, but he needs it. So let's do that act in love just because somebody else needs something. Selfless sacrifice is love. It's not always easy because our command extends to loving our enemies. F.F. Bruce has a book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And he addresses the hardest part of this command for us to love when he points to Matthew 5.44 where Jesus is saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't want to misquote Bruce here, so I wrote it down. Praying for those who persecute us and praying for our enemies We don't always think of that as an act of love that fulfills the command, but it is. And about this act of praying for enemies, Bruce says, those who have put this injunction into practice assure us that persistence in prayer for someone whom we do not like, however much it goes against the grain to begin with, brings about a remarkable change in attitude. 
Now, a bit of self-confession here. I'm going to ask you guys, how often do we pray for our enemies? If I'm honest, not often. Not often enough. You might say, well, Greg, I'm a generally loving type of person. I don't have any enemies. I'd say, okay. I mean, I don't think I have very many enemies anymore. What about Vladimir Putin? Is anybody praying for him? Not to ex- we're not excusing anything that he may or may not be responsible for or is doing. Have we, have we thought about that? What about that guy that shot up the supermarket out in Buffalo? You see, it's easy for us to pray for people that we relate to or people that we like. It's easy for us to pray for those millions of aborted babies. It's not easy for us to pray for those politicians who just 30 miles down the road from us have decided that we should make it a law that abortion is okay up to and including the moment of birth. We don't want to pray for them. Do we, want, have, do we pray for the doctors who perform abortions? It's easy to focus on the innocent baby. But God's told us we have to pray for our enemies. Pray for the women who have gone through that. Sometimes by choice. Sometimes because they don't know any better. Sometimes because they're confused and desperate. God sees them with love. Maybe we need to as well. Praying is an act of love. That's one thing that we can do. Love serves with sincerity, selflessly. Like the priest in the story, we don't need a motivation to act in love. We'll get there. The act first, feelings may be later. The command remains, whether we feel like it or not, that we need to love. Many of us serve at the homeless shelter. That's one good thing we can do. Do we give our neighbor a hand when they need it? Do they borrow our tools and not give them back? Maybe. Open doors. Give your money away. Assume that the other person has good intentions when you're dealing with them. Visit your parents. Visit your kids. Call that person that's been on your mind. Call them or text them. Or shoot an email to them. An email is an act. Not because they're going to appreciate it and not because they deserve it, but because you've been commanded to love them. You don't get another chit on your ledger when you're going to meet Jesus because that's not how it works. You do it because you're commanded to.
do the dishes, mow the lawn, empty the garbage can. None of my family's in here, so I guess that was pointless. You see that mom or dad that's in the store and they've got a bunch of little kids running around like crazy people. Tell them you're doing a good job. I'm looking at some of you guys in here. Tell them they're doing a good job and then offer to babysit. (laughs) Give your brother or sister a break. Smile and say hello to strangers. Love one another. The act of loving one another is what matters. To remind you that sincere, selfless service is love. We may never be in a position where we're going to lay our lives down for a friend or for a stranger. We may never be in that position. But Romans 5.8, the best example of love that we could ever have or ever hope to have. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we want to know what love means, all we have to do is look at that cross as the perfect example of how we should live our lives and love one another. If he can do that, we can leave the last cupcake for one of the kids at the potluck. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if that made any sense to you at all, and I don't even know if any of it is theologically correct. All I know is that we have a command to go love one another and to love our enemies. Let, this week, let's go out and do that. God loves you. He always has and he always will. Disperse and be the church.